and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here as always with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Julia. So I am currently in the process of prepping a brand new class that I've never taught before, and I haven't prepped a brand new class in kind of a while. I've been teaching the same classes, and of course, I change them a little bit each time. But starting a class from scratch has made me be um, thoughtful and mindful about what this process is like starting classes from scratch or, you know, changing, changing classes that you've taught before. Um, and so we thought that we would spend a couple of episodes talking about teaching and talking about kind of the philosophies that we bring to teaching, approaches we've tried, uh, the way we bring ourselves into the classroom, um, and so forth. So Jonathan and I teach at very different kinds of institutions. For those uh, who haven't heard us talk about this before, um, I'm at Carleton College, which is a small liberal arts college. My students are all undergraduates. Um, and they're also awesome undergraduates. They're thoughtful and excited and eager to learn and ask for extra reading when they're interested in something. Uh, and so the stuff that I talk about about teaching um, is is kind of going to be, I, I just want you to view it through that lens and know, you know, kind of what's coming. Jonathan, can you tell a little bit about uh, where you teach and yeah, well, first of all, strokes. we have awesome undergraduates, too, just so you know. Oh, no, no, uh, no. I mean, I wasn't, the, like, contrasting. <laughs> this could be a hard time. Um, anyway, so I teach it at Washington University in St. Louis, and the two courses um, that I typically teach uh, are, are through the Psychological and Brain Sciences Department. There's an Introduction to Cognitive Neuroscience, which is a, a well, it's an introductory lecture course, and I usually have about 200 students in that. Um, of all all years and in lots of different majors, uh, and then I also teach a brain imaging course, which is much smaller. It's about twenty to twenty five students, and there's usually a few graduate students, but mostly undergraduates in that. So I think anyway, most of the time, I think what we're talking about today, I'm going to like my mindset is mostly my lecture class, the bigger one, which I'm also teaching now. Um, but anyway, I might I might flip back and forth a little. Sure. So that's also, so what you'll be talking about is also mostly undergrad. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I teach uh, Introduction to Psychology, um, Sensation and Perception, uh, Senior Seminar on Psychology's Credibility Revolution, which is all about open science, um, and a seminar called The Psychology of Spoken Words. Um, and I guess one difference is that my biggest class, my intro psych class, is, is 35. So we'll probably talk about somewhat different approaches that we take for smaller classes versus mm -hmm. versus bigger ones. Mm -hmm. So, okay, here we go. You're about to teach a new class. You've never taught it before. You know a little something about it, I would hope, but uh but but it's brand new. So, when I first like sit down to think about a class, um the first thing that I typically think about is is just content, right? This is basic like what's what's the stuff that you want your students to to know. Um and so in order to make decisions about that, I'm going to think about, like, what are the important, like, topics and debates in the field, uh, scanning the, the, the table of contents in textbooks related to this can be useful, too, if we're thinking about, you know, how have other people kind of structured this and broken down the key ideas, what's, what's the information that needs to get, um, to get made. Um, and and the, the breadth of that depends a ton based on the, the nature of the course, right? So when I'm teaching intro psych, I'm like, well, there's all kinds of stuff they have to know about what I do research on, <laughs> right. but it turns uh -huh. out I'm covering all of cognition in three days or something. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. um, so that, that process of prioritizing 
I don't know, that's sometimes super painful. It's so hard for me to teach a class and be like, wait, but you can't possibly leave without learning about this. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, 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 no. They'll take that in, in an upper level class if they're lucky. Do you, do you remember the first class that you taught and prepped, like either at Carleton or if you did any teaching before that? Like, yeah. How how yeah, how did I, you approach the content issue then? Because I'll in a minute I'll tell you what what I did, but I want to hear your story first. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question. I think I basically so the first class that I taught was intro psych. Um, and I think I basically just grabbed the table of contents from the textbook that I was using and then taught exactly those topics in that order because mm-hmm. I had never done it before. And, you know, first, first term teaching, it was hard and I was pretty underwater. And so mm-hmm. I think, I think I started with that and then have moved kind of farther and farther away from that over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other, the other, uh, that the other class that I taught that first term was my seminar psych of spoken words. and. To come up with the content for that, I mean, because it's my research area, um, I think what it is just like sat down and started making a list of all of the things. And I also looked at previous syllabi of people who had taught classes on like spoken word production and spoken word recognition and seen the topics that that they had covered. Uh, but it was definitely like looking at what other people thought was important and, mm-hmm. you know, seeing what I agreed with rather than trying to come up with a list out of my head. So I have this clear memory which in retrospect at least for me it seems like not the best approach but anyway it's your first my first time i didn't know any better um so the the first big class i taught was was my introductory to cognitive neuroscience class and i i looked at a bunch of textbooks and picked one and i was like well there's 20 chapters in the textbook and i have about 20 class meetings you know you know calculate calculate therefore i will do one chapter every class meeting um Mm -hmm. Which is what I, you know, which is what I did. And, and I, you know, I guess we'll come back to content, but, um, I guess anyway, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> so I, w- I, yeah, I kind of but... wish I could go back and tell myself, like, you don't have to cover everything. Yes. I, I think, I think that's like a totally reasonable place to start. Like mm-hmm. if you don't, if you don't have another, you know, if, if you don't know what else to do, I think it's a totally reasonable right. place to start. And then my guess would be that most people, you know, once they teach it, they're like, ah, this topic and this topic are kind of related. I should teach those. I could teach those in one class period. And this thing isn't actually that interesting. So I'm going to skip that altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I find it's really hard to know, to, to like be able to make all of those connections before you teach something, right. And see like how the stuff you teach in week two is going to connect to the stuff you teach in week eight. And so maybe you should teach those closer together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think starting in that way, you know, is a perfectly reasonable starting place. Okay, good. <laughs> but it, it was tough though. I mean, anyway, so my problem was. Um, uh, and maybe some of you have come across those too, but you know, of the 20 chapters, I was like a pretty good expert in like three of them, uh, like the language and speech chapters, you know, and then a bunch of the other ones, I'm like, I'm more of an expert than the average person on the street, but I'm not a emotion researcher. So if there's a whole chapter on emotion neuroscience, like I don't know any of this stuff. Um, and so I was really, you know, it was the, I guess the classic thing where like the, the night before lecture, I was reading up on this stuff. And then the next day I would try to teach about it, which is, which is tough. It is tough. It is tough. Um, and, and I think though that you're selling yourself a little bit short, because even if you haven't studied that thing, you still know a lot about, you know, how research in this field is generally conducted and how Mm -hmm. studies are designed. Um, and so I think one of, one of the things that we learn in our training is how to at least get the broad strokes of research and how it's done, 
even if it even if you're not an expert in it, you know, and that's right. and that's what we're teaching to students, especially at the undergraduate level. Mm-hmm. So, Fair enough. yeah, to, to, and, to, to, to reassure people who feel like they're teaching stuff that is not directly in their wheelhouse. Uh, we've all done that. And, you know, it's obviously hard, um, but but you don't have to. I mean, obviously, teaching teaching stuff that, you know, well, is great, but you can still give students a lot of value by just teaching them in a thoughtful and compassionate way, even if you don't know every single thing about it. Right. That's a a good point. And I guess just to prove that my little tangent here was kind of related, um, you know, you started off, you know, kind of saying that you think about, well, what topics are important in the field? And that's also how I start off. And that's how I would end up doing 20 chapters because they all seem important. And how, you know, am I a bad teacher for not telling them about all this stuff? Um, And I think I've gradually added another like facet to that, which is sort of like, well, what are the topics that I'm the best teacher at or the topics that mm-hmm. I can convey the most enthusiasm? You know, I mean, yeah. in, in the absence of other ways to whittle down the 20 topics to, I don't know what I do now, more like six or seven topics. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I spend more time on them and I just, I enjoy it more. And I think that goes across to the students. But anyway, so it's like, what's important in the field? But then if that's too big, then I think you're allowed to use other metrics, other heuristics for uh, limiting what you teach. Yeah. Yep. One of the other things that sometimes dictates um, what what I'm going to teach is if students, if I know students are going to take like upper level classes that expect them to have some prerequisite knowledge from my class, um, you know, thinking about how I'm going to be sure to check those boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, I don't know, I guess that's somewhat less intellectually fun being like, yep, definitely have to talk about this because then when they get to this class, they need to they need to know it. But it's another, you know, it's another consideration for thinking about how your class kind of fits into the curriculum. I'm going to interrupt you there. And also because you and I have different departmental affiliation type things. But um, do you have like department meetings about curriculum? Like, how do you know how what you teach fits into the broader picture? We do. Yeah. I mean, we um, periodically will have like departmental retreats where we talk about our curriculum and what our what the what the goals for our major are and where we think students are getting each of those skills. Right. So if we say we want our majors to have, you know, good quantitative reasoning in the following ways. Then we look at, you know, all of our classes and say, OK, where are we teaching them quantitative reasoning? What uh, proficiency do we expect at the intro level? What do we expect when they're seniors? Um and so, yeah, so I think we, we have conversations about it and are, are all pretty like deliberate and mindful about, you know, what our, what our responsibilities are, uh, in terms of conveying both in terms of content and, you know, skills to help them be good scientists and, and, and where in the major they get them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I mean, just, um, well, am I allowed to say this? I don't know. So I, I teach in a department that's not my main, main appointment department. So I don't, I don't go to all of the psychological and Mm. brain science meetings. And so I, I'm pretty sure they have those meetings, but I, but I'm not, um, I'm not invited. So I, I am a little bit making up what I think is important for the upper level courses. And so I'm trying to be better about integrating, but I, I definitely feel, you know, kind of on my own for, for that part of it. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not a major part of what I think about when I'm designing mm-hmm. classes. Mm-hmm. I think, um, cause mostly the things that are learning goals for the kinds of classes I teach are stuff that I would want to teach anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, 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 yeah, so it's not, it's not a major force in, in how I design my classes. Yeah, yeah. The other like big kind of content thing that is, that is always present in my mind is in addition to like, 
the the like nitty gritty of content that is different for every class. Um, one of the things that my department really values, I think psychology in general really values, I really value, um, is that students uh, are trained in becoming really critical consumers of science and well-versed in the scientific process. Mm -hmm. And so we spend a lot of time talking about research methods and meta-scientific stuff and how do you know what to trust and replicability and that um, in in every single class that I teach. So the examples that I give are are different, you know, depending on like what the research area is. Um, but but I have found that like as so I used to when I taught intro, I would like teach research methods on day two or whatever, and then kind of not talk about it again. And I found that the, the as I've been teaching more, I'm like teaching less and less content and more and more methodology and like mm-hmm. meta scientific stuff. Um, in part because of the replication crisis, and I worry about you know what what we can trust. Um, and in part because that's what I want them to like walk away with that's what i want them to like to like remember is not is not the facts of science but like the process of 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 how we do it Mm -hmm. well that's also really transferable to different topics right and so exactly right i mean i mean either even outside of psychology you know gasp uh but certainly Mm -hmm. within psychology if they forget all the all the quote-unquote facts you teach them you know hopefully they'll have a bigger picture appreciation yeah yeah Okay, I have I have two things that I want to say about that. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, let me just write down the second one first because I'm gonna I'm gonna forget it. Okay, so the first one. Um, uh, oh, this is gonna involve a funny story too. Okay, so there's a thing that some faculty at Carleton do. Oh, I hope I don't get in trouble for no, no, this is fine. Okay, there's a thing that some faculty at Carleton do uh, that is called the, the 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 first the first day challenge. And um, this isn't like a Carlton wide thing. This is like my nerd friends at Carlton, mm-hmm. um, where we get together before the before the first day of class, fall term, and we come up with a particular word or phrase or topic that is like low frequency word, weird phrase, quirky topic, and then we each try to come up with creative and funny and inventive ways of incorporating that into our lecture the first day of class. And the hope is that some students will be like. Oh, it's kind of weird. Like every single professor talked about the Oregon Trail on the first day of class. I wonder uh-huh. what that's about. Right. And it's just like a, a, you know, a funny little challenge and a fun thing to do. Um, so it, the, the theme was the Oregon Trail a few years ago. Also because like the creators of the Oregon Trail have some Carlton connection was one of the reasons that we did this. Oh, but so okay. when I was talking nice. to my students about like the class and my philosophy for the class and how I was going to teach it, the metaphor that I gave is that the class itself is like in the Oregon Trail when you go out and you're like hunting buffalo and caribou and whatever you hunt. And you have that you have that little pop up that says you you got 2000 pounds worth of beast meat, but you can only carry 200 pounds back to your wagon or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Those numbers might not be right. Um, and the idea is that the class itself is like the 2000 pounds of beast meat. Uh, but what they're going to carry back to their wagon, you know, is like what they're going to take with them after this class, what they're actually going to remember. And so I said that the, (laughs) uh, the stuff about the process of science, scientific methodology, um, that that is like what they're going to, what I want them to carry back to their wagon. Mm -hmm. They can forget the other stuff because they know how to look that up, but that's what I want them to really like carry with them and, and keep. So that's why, you know, I really hit that methodological stuff hard. Uh Uh-huh. I like that. And how many students, like, do they ever say anything? Do you ever let them in on the joke? And you're like, hey, just so you know. 
I've had students who like know about it and they'll be like, was the word for this year wheelhouse or uh-huh. something, you know, they're like looking for patterns. But I also think that's really fun, right? That mm-hmm. they're like looking for patterns and trying to figure out like which of their professors are likely to to be in on it and like, you know, willing to try and do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, we didn't do it this year because, you know, pandemic. Um, but I'll 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 hit it really hard here. Uh huh. Okay. Good. Um, the the other content thing um that I that I wanted to say about like what are students actually going to remember? You know, what's the content that 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 they're going to carry with them? Um, especially when I teach intro psych, I have found that it can be very hard to make topics to make it clear how topics are connected to one another in intro psych. Right? It's like. Today we're talking about development. Today we're talking about intelligence. Today we're talking about psychopathology. Um, and and they can end up feeling like really disjointed, disconnected uh, uh, ideas. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I started doing a few years ago um, that that I really love and the students have have taken to also is uh, identifying a couple of themes that persist throughout the course or a couple of ideas that come up over and over again. Um, that uh, uh, that 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 I want them to like really understand and be familiar with and like know in their bones. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I'll introduce those themes on the first day of class. I'll be like, "Here's five themes. This is what you're going to hear over and over and over again." And then every time I talk about some content that supports that theme or relates to that theme, I'll like put a little note in in my slides. I'll like put a little tag in the upper left hand corner that is like you know theme colon and then whatever the theme is mm-hmm. so that they start to like notice these these themes in in lots of places um and what often happens is that on the last day of class when i do an exercise that's like what do you think you're going to remember from this class if you had to summarize this content for you know someone who's never taken uh who doesn't know anything about this um what would you explain the students typically just like tell me the themes back and explain the themes mm-hmm. um and and I love that because I, I care so much that they're seeing these like connections between topics and like understanding the big picture, like big ideas, rather than just, you know, spitting back here at the Piagetian stages of development or mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that those aren't important. Sorry, developmental people, stages are important too. Um but so so teaching with teaching with themes is another way that I have tried to kind of um help guide what I want them to be taking away. Well, I like that too, because that also, you know, for, for those of us who are in a position of having way too much content to, you know, cover everything, you know, I, Oh, I have three things I could talk about, but this one really fits into a particular theme and the other two don't so much or, or whatever, yeah. right. It can <clears throat> sort of help guide you to, to in reinforcing a small number of big picture ideas instead of like getting lost in the weeds of, Here's just more more facts about a about a topic. Exactly, exactly. It's it's also just really fun to like hear hear them say my words back to me. I mean, not just like you know <laughs> parroting, but being like, uh-huh. well, you know, here are these themes we talked about. Mm-hmm. Well, and obviously, you know, w- w- one of the things we know about memory is that rehearsing it multiple times and retrieving it yourself is like reinforces your ability to remember it, and so like you've given them lots of rehearsal on these five big ideas or however many you have. Uh, and, and they are more likely to remember it for that reason, in addition to hopefully that they're interesting and relevant and, and tie a lot yep. of things together and everything. Yep. 
All right. So what we've talked about so far is mostly about like content, which is clearly the first thing you think about when you're designing a class. It's like, you know, what are the, <laughs> to put it crudely and not in the way that we actually think about teaching, like what are the facts that I just want to like sausage stuff into the students? <laughs> Obviously that's not uh, how we think about it, but you know, yes, like sure. what, what's, what's right. the content, what's mm -hmm. the content that they, that they need to get. Mm -hmm. Um. So in addition to stuffing their heads full of facts, why didn't I, why didn't I use that phrase when I did my, like my, my tenure, my tenure prospectus. And I was like, what's your teaching philosophy? Right. Just get stuff, the Just maximum stuff number in, of facts right? yeah. into heads. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the other things that I think about, uh, think about a lot in my teaching, one of like, like meta things, um, is that, ah, uh, I think learning is super fun and I want to show them why it's fun to learn and how it's fun to learn and model that like enthusiasm and excitement about learning um, even like long after they have finished the class. Um, so one of the ways that I, that I do that is uh, you know, just by like being cranked up to 11 on enthusiasm, which is, which is how I tend to be generally. Um, shocking and shocking. Who knew? Um, and you know, just like when they ask questions that I don't know the answer to, uh, showing that I am excited. Mm -hmm. Um, this isn't the kind of thing, like if you, if you, if you are not a super enthusiastic person, um, I don't like, I don't think you can fake this. I don't think it works well to fake it. Um, but as it happens, I just, I, I get super excited about learning stuff and I, you know, and so, and so, and so I show them that. Um, one of the, one of the lessons that I have learned about teaching that I think is so important for all of us to remember in conversations about teaching is that there are so many ways to do it well. Um, and, and figuring out how to become a better teacher, um, is, is about figuring out what, what way of teaching, which, which ways of teaching work well for you and are, are effective for you. When I first started at Carleton, um, there was an awesome professor in the psych department who was just about to retire, and he was in the cognitive area. And everybody said, "You got to go see him teach. He's so great. You know, this is like a, a great thing for you to like see when you're when you're new." And so I went and I watched him teach, um, and it was awesome. He's a great, dynamic, wonderful teacher, um, and many of his teaching techniques included things like, uh, <laughs> This is going to sound harsher than it was, was but like yelling and swearing and arguing with students, but like in a very effective and friendly way that made everybody laugh and like mm -hmm. be really, you know, interested. It, it made him really engaging. Um, but I could never do that. I'm mm -hmm. like, I would be super uncomfortable teaching in that way. Um, and, and when I first saw that, I was like, oh no, is this like what good teaching is? Uh, and it's what good teaching was for him. And mine happens to be super different. So if you were hearing me say, I try to model enthusiasm for students by being super enthusiastic. Um, I just want to be clear that like, you don't have to do that. There's plenty of other ways to, to model that. That's what works for me because, because, because I am, I am how I am. But mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. getting them excited about, uh, excited about asking questions. And, um, and one, one of my favorite things that often happens in classes is students will ask me questions that I don't know the answers to. And even after I've been teaching something for like a decade, you know, my wonderful students will come up with great questions that I have never thought about before and are awesome questions. Um, and what I try to do is, uh, 
I mean, I don't try to. What I usually do is gasp and say, oh my gosh, I've never thought about that before. That's so fun. Let's think about it together. Mm-hmm. And then kind of like talk through what I do know, what, um, uh, you know, what like, if I had to guess, these are the things that might contribute. Here's a parallel that I know something about. Um, and then I go look it up. And at the start of the next class period, I say, hey, somebody asked this great question. Here's what I looked up and here's what I found out. Um, or sometimes I asked on Twitter because I didn't know the answer. And here's what all of these other people said, too. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is that that's a really n- nice way of demonstrating, like, it's fun to not know things. And then it's fun to learn about those things. And then it's fun to share that stuff, too, uh, because that that's one of the things that I want them to come out of my classes with is just being like, boy, I don't know that. Let's figure that out. How, mm-hmm. how can we how can we, you know, figure out what the answer to that is or what's how, what, are, what are some good ways of thinking about it? And things like that. So mm-hmm. that like thinking about uh, uh, being excited about learning stuff is one of the things that I really want to like a, a meta thing that I want to foster in my class. Mm-hmm. I think that that also ties back into um, and not to like harp on this point, but like uh, decide if you have some decisions over what content you're including, uh, th- this can be really kind of critical because I found, you know, for me, one of my evolution of teaching I would I would cut out the topics that um, I was less enthusiastic about, and I tried to expand the ones I was more enthusiastic. And the goal would be that I'm like my most enthusiastic the whole semester, instead of like, oh, today I have to talk about blah blah blah. But I have to because I'm a good citizen. I'll try to fake enthusiasm and knowledge. Uh, I said, you know what? I'm just not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk for two days about this other topic that we never get to talk about enough, or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. the the thing was so um i like that and i think you know again whatever however that looks for individual teachers we all have ways we can kind of push people towards that end and i love modeling um not knowing and also have i ever done this i've done this a couple of times not often but i actually think you know time permitting like doing some research while you're sharing your screen uh is like maybe risky risky like probably just because it might be boring um, but also mm-hmm. just showing people like, how do you, if you have, if you have five minutes to do like some web research, where do you look? What do you search for? How do you like judge the, you know, the likely truth of these different sources, you know, um, can also be mm-hmm. useful. I think, I mean, yeah. I take that for granted, like just go Google it. Everyone knows how to Google things. Um, but actually, you know, I think anyway, those of us who've been doing this for 20 years have picked up some, some knowledge about that that might be useful. Yeah, that's that's really nice. I I have never done that like sh- like shown them my process for searching for it. But mm-hmm. that might be a nice thing to do like, you know, time and time and circumstances permitting. Mm-hmm. Um I, I have done it where if somebody like asks a question during class and then they're doing some small group work for a couple of minutes, mm-hmm. I'll like quickly go google it and then report back. Mm-hmm. Um I have also a couple of times when somebody asks a question and it's like seems like an easily googleable thing, if I see a student who like has a laptop out, you know, when we're in person obviously, um, I'll be like, Hey, Jonathan, will you quick Google that and see if you mm-hmm. can find an answer? Mm-hmm. Um, although one time that happened and the student like said they found an answer and it was an answer that I did not believe. And uh-huh. I was like, um, what website are you on? And he was like, Buzzfeed. And I was like, mm, I'm going to look that up <laughs> uh-huh. in some more detail and get back to you next time. Mm-hmm. But that, but that, you know, might be a nice, yeah. Like, uh, also like contributing to scientific literacy and evaluating mm-hmm. sources and things like that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you've talked about before, Julia, um, although not in a ton of detail, but is sort of the hidden curriculum 
um, that you, I think you're very intentional about, about building into your, your teaching. And I wonder if you could remind us what, what you mean by that. Yeah, right. So the, the hidden curriculum is the information that you learn as part of education, but often aren't explicitly taught. Um, and it's one of the places that, uh, that inequities um, among incoming students can be perpetuated. So for instance, um, uh, if you um, uh, maybe are, I'm just going to use, use two examples here, like a first-gen college student uh, who went to um, who went to a, a underfunded public school versus a professor's kid who went to a great prep school. And you get to college on the first day and the professor says, these are my office hours. Why don't you do a literature search to find uh, a topic that you're interested in? And then, you know, let's talk next week about what you found. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the first student may not know like what office hours are for or the circumstances under which it's appropriate to go to them or how to book an appointment or how to talk to the professor once you get there. They may also not know what a literature search is or what search engine to use or what key, what keywords are, or how to use them or, or things like that. Um, and so I try to be really explicit, like put a, put a lot of thought into what are, what is the information that students need to know to be successful in this class, um, that they don't already know. And how can I make that explicit? Um, so for instance, when I teach intro psych, uh, the first unit that we do is about, is about cognition and memory. Um, and the first assignment is to read a review article uh, that, that describes uh, study techniques um, and the way that study, uh, what cognitive psychology has shown about what study techniques are effective. So they read that paper and then make a plan for studying for the first exam in our class using the recommendations for that from that paper. Mm-hmm. And there's some other like method stuff that they do with it too. Um, but the idea is that students are supposed to know how to study and they know some things about how to study, but there's a lot of research about the most effective ways to study. And I want everybody who's taking that first exam to have that, not just the kids who went to good prep school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm explicit about teaching people how to study an intro. Um, I'm explicit about what office hours are for and the circumstances under which you use them and how to book appointments. And if you want to come and talk to me, but you aren't quite sure what to say or how to do it, here are some prompts to get you started. Um, and the other one that I that I really emphasize is about how to ask for help and extensions and what the circumstances are um, that that you are likely to be granted those. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had students, I had a student um, years ago now say, my friend told me that he got an, an extension for this assignment and I got a really bad grade on it because like I didn't know that extensions were a thing. I thought if I like didn't turn it in on time. I just wouldn't get any points for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think being really explicit with students about how to ask for help and, 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 and why and what kind of help is possible to get um, is a really useful way of, um, of, of trying to reduce some of those inequities. Mm-hmm. I think it's especially nice to build those into your syllabus, right? To like explicitly say, I'm just going to drop your lowest three quiz grades. No questions asked. You don't have to explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for things that are like, that are, that are bigger and more substantial and, you know, people may need to ask for help, um, to, to tell them how to do it. Um, mm-hmm. and the, the way that I frame it is that asking for help is not a sign of weakness or a sign that you're, you know, not cut out for this or not capable of doing this. 
Um, but it's a sign that you have good self-knowledge and know when you need help. And so it's important to remember that other people are going to ask for help when they need it. And if you don't, you're not being tough and resilient. You're just putting yourself at, at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. So I really try to frame it in terms of like, if you ask for help, I'm going to say, I'm proud of you for knowing when you need to ask for help. Let's figure out how to, you know, how to make this work. For you. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's good. And I, I um, well, anyway, I, I particularly like um, trying to be explicit about office hours because I do think that's something I don't remember when I learned what office hours are for, but I mean, I, I think it was always a little bit vague, even you know, even for me, who was kind of comfortable with academic settings. Um, and so I, I've, I've been trying to be, you know, more explicit about that, too, both in writing and in the syllabus, but also just in sort of, you know, having a conversation with students early on in the in the semester about it. Mm-hmm. And I think I've, I've seen people talk on Twitter about kind of different approaches to this um, being being flexible and explicit about expectations. Um, because I, I know that like this method that I've described of like, if things are tough, you should talk to me, um, probably doesn't work if you have like 500 students in your class, right? If you have that many students, um, it's probably necessary to like, figure out ways of just implementing some flexibility as part of the syllabus. So mm-hmm. I know some faculty who who say things like, you have two free passes on turning assignments in on time. You don't need to tell them, tell me when you're going to use them. Just you can turn in two things late and I won't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think still like being really being explicit about those um, uh, is, is more helpful and democratic across the board. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I think, um, I think we're planning on continuing this discussion next week with more details and maybe we can also get into some more like approaches for flexibility uh, and what's yeah. worked well for us. Cause I think that is, that's something I, I feel pretty strongly about too. One of one of the other kind of meta things that relates to this too is helping students think about. Um, uh, so, so I, I mentioned like study skills, but also kind of like organizational, like how do you approach big projects kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So, if I have big projects in classes, um, and we can talk about this more about this next time when we talk about like the the nuts and boltsy stuff. But think about like how we scaffold those projects to show them like. First, you come up with some ideas, then you write an outline, then you do the following. Um, because I feel like that that process of scaffolding is also a way of teaching them, hey, next time you have to write a big paper, even if there aren't all of these components along the way, these are some useful, you know, sub steps in between I have nothing and I have a 20 page paper. Mm-hmm. But also kind of teaching how to like break, break projects into pieces um, and and knowing how to approach really big projects without getting overwhelmed is another one. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing that that strikes me as we talk about all of these big picture issues is that for me, it's very easy to start with, you know, content, like I have to cover X number of topics, uh, and then like, f- and then like, think about the structure. So I was going to you know, flip right into the structure. So like, well, how many exams do we have? And how many quizzes? And how much does everything count for? And, and like, that's all important. But I think um, a lot of these, like, you know, what we're calling kind of meta- meta aspects of teaching or, or whatever, um, I've typically added on after the fact. So I do all the nitty gritty, mm-hmm. I get my syllabus, and then a year later I talk to you and I'm like, oh yeah, I actually do care about this thing and wouldn't it be nice to do a better job with it? But I I mean, for myself, I feel like the next class that I rework or teach or whatever, I, I want to like make a list of you know 
make a list of these themes and some of them, um, you know, non-academic or meta hidden curriculum things first and then write the syllabus and just like have that in mind. It just seems like it'd be easier, right? I mean, it sounds like that's kind of you're more towards that end of things. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I feel like that that would be a that would be a really nice way to do it, and I think it's really hard to do that stuff without thinking some about the content. I don't mm-hmm. know. I guess, yeah, yeah. Um, um, it, you know, if you're thinking about like, what are my learning goals for this class? What do I? How do I want them to be different at the end of this class than at the beginning of it? Um, I think some of that you can do before thinking about content. Um. But a, but a lot of it, it, it seems like, it seems like it'd be hard to do really separately. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I'll get better at that the longer I, I do it. But I, I feel like they, they often kind of happen, happen hand in hand for me. Well, I think another possibly related point is that like a lot of things, I think it's really hard to get better at teaching without teaching. So you yeah, can think yes. about all this stuff. Uh, you know, before you teach your first class or like now as I'm thinking about my next class, but like at some point you just have to jump in and do it and kind of like, Mm -hmm. you know, have the practical lived experience of what works and what doesn't for you as a teacher and and things like that. Um, and so, you know, I kind of, anyway, I laugh at some of the things I did my first semester. Um, but, but in the end, I kind of felt like I had to make those mistakes to feel comfortable with where I ended up. So, so for example, having a mixture of multiple choice and short answer questions on the exam, which of course, like I, I probably could have just started there, but I worked, I don't even remember all the things I tried that were like trying to be inventive. And then I just ended up with kind of what people do. Um, but having like struggled through that myself, like I kind of know why I got there and what I like about it and, and things like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yes. I, I also remember like when I first started teaching and I, you know, went to the, the sessions at Carlton's uh, leaning learning and teaching center, um, and they were talking about like, you know, course goals and all this like, you know, pedagogical considerations. And I was just kind of in the panic sense of like, no, but I just need to know what I'm going to teach tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And like, I just right. got to figure out, we just, I just got to get something on the books because I need to give them a syllabus. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, every time I teach, I learn how to teach better. Every time I see somebody teach, I learn how to teach better. And it's, it's always a work in progress, right? Mm-hmm. You never, you never finish it. And I, and I feel like that's true both of individual, individual class periods. Like I never finish a lecture. I just run out of time and then, and then do it and then make a bunch of notes about how to do it better next time. And uh-huh. then run out of time. I mean, I don't mean like run out of time, not preparing. I mean, just like I would keep tweaking and changing and being like, who is there a better example or could I do this differently? Um, forever mm-hmm. both for individual class periods and like every time i teach a class i change it um and so it's never like it's never done mm-hmm. and it's one of the things that is both super fun about teaching for me right that it's like always gets to be different and and it's really fun to be the captain of your own class and be like well how do i want to make this happen what are the you know what are the ways that what are, what are the things i could do to make this better mm-hmm. um but it's also somewhat um you know, you think about like when you, with a research project, you like finish collecting data, write your paper, send it off. Paper is now published. It is done. Sure. You might do more work on it or build on the theory or whatever, but like, you've got like this thing and you can say this thing is done. But I feel like classes are just, they're just always in flux. They're always changing. 
Um, and so it doesn't ever have that sense of like total completion, mm-hmm. completeness that, that some other things do. I well, mean, clearly I like that and I think it's fun, but it's, you know, it's never done. Well, right. It's, it's, it's pros, pros and cons of that, I think. I mean, on the one hand, mm-hmm. you can't really rest on your laurels. Um, but on the other hand, it's fun because because it stays kind of new and exciting. Um, and I and I assume I assume this is not well. Anyway, I, I bet you found this too. But I'd be curious. Every every class has its own like personality, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know I don't know why. And especially in a class of two hundred, how do I get a sense of that? I don't know. But but the whatever whatever I did last year doesn't work this year the same way. Mm-hmm. We, some sometimes we go faster. Sometimes we go slower. Sometimes I make the same joke and every, you know, everyone laughed at it last year and this year, no one laughs at it. I don't know, but every, every class seems to have its own kind of group dynamic. Um, and so I, you know, that's what, this is another topic, but I struggle to think about like recording a lecture and then using it every semester because I, because I feel like when I give them live, that doesn't work. Uh, for whatever reason, I just, I don't get a good sense of, you know, of things working the same way, which is, which is fun, but also means you have to be a little flexible. Yeah. 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 That is, that is a really, a really striking thing. And, and I feel like even in years where I haven't changed much, I'm always amazed at how different, different, the different dynamics of classes can be. And maybe it's just the humans in the room and maybe it is uh, the time of day or the classroom or what's going on with the world. Or Mm -hmm. even if I don't mean to have changed everything, anything like, Last time I taught it, it was new, and this time it isn't, and so maybe I'm different or presenting in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're 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 always different. Mm-hmm. Yep. One thing I really like to do is um, I take a picture of each of my classes on uh, on the last day of class, just not not to um, uh, I let students opt out if they don't want to be in it. I tell them that I'm not going to share it or anything. Um, but I just love to be able to look back and like see all their faces in that room. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's such a good reminder for me of like what that class was like and you know, how that, how that term went um, because they are all like actually different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I like that. I just looked back at pictures of, of my students from previous classes when we were like all in person together like oh, look at all those yeah. humans they're sitting so close to each other yeah how are you how are doing your class photos in like pandemic times i just i do a screenshot of uh-huh. zoom yeah yeah yeah. which actually for that purpose works pretty well <laughs> like you've it got does. a photo like, of everyone and yeah. i know because usually i'm like wait so and so your head's being blocked move mm-hmm. over a little bit but yeah on zoom i can actually get all of them um so as we as we think about next time when we get into some details you know, this would be a great time for our listeners to send in questions to us because there's lots of stuff we can talk about. Uh, well, questions or suggestions, really, right? We'll take we'll take everything. Uh, so you can find a contact form at juiceandsqueeze.net. The show notes for today are at juiceandsqueeze.net slash 38. And uh, we always love to hear from you. So send us an email. And we've got stickers. If you want some Juice and Squeeze stickers, drop us a line. And next time we'll talk about uh, some more of the the nuts and bolts of teaching. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.